presenting this month's special series, Focus on Sports Medicine. We're talking to experts in the field about sports and exercise-related injuries and the latest advances in diagnosis, treatment, and prevention to help your patients stay active. Your patient may have a concussion, and he's in line for a scan, but he wants to go home. What blood tests may you be able to order to quickly and effectively evaluate his risk? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focusing on sports medicine. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jeff Bazarian from University of Rochester Medical Center in New York. Dr. Bazarian is an associate professor in emergency medicine, neurology, and neurosurgery at the University of Rochester. He is the author of many published articles and research projects in the area of head trauma and neurology, and we're very pleased to have him with us today. Today we're discussing the rapid evaluation of closed head trauma. Welcome, Dr. Bazarian. How are you? Welcome to ReachMD. Very good. Thanks, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be on your show. So first, tell us, uh, listeners, a little bit about your background. You're probably the first emergency medicine physician I had on the show who's also an associate professor of neurology and neurosurgery. How'd you get there? I guess that is a little unusual. Clinically, I'm an emergency physician. That's what I do when I see patients. It's in in a busy emergency department. But uh, I do work in an academic center, and because my research area is traumatic brain injury, there are other academic groups within the institution that are interested in having their residents be trained in traumatic brain injury. And and where I am at the University of Rochester, our Department of Neurology and our Department of Neurosurgery are very interested in having their residents learn the cutting-edge research in traumatic brain injury and also to be actively involved in it. So I have secondary appointments in those departments. I don't do neurosurgery. I don't operate on people's brains, and I'm, I'm not a neurologist. But how did you get interested in traumatic brain injury? Is there a story there? Of course. There's a story for everyone's <laughs> research, and I'm, I suppose I'm no exception. Well, what's interesting about the type of traumatic brain injury that I'm interested in, it's mild traumatic brain injury, and that's concussion, is that that injury presents to emergency departments, which is where I work. And the interesting thing about this is, you know, there's nothing to operate on when someone has a concussion. And so it's a perfect kind of injury to study if you're an emergency physician. They're really not sure how to diagnose it. We're really not sure how to treat it. And nobody really wants to take care of it after you're done with it. So there are a lot of people with concussions coming into the place where I happen to work. It was a perfect opportunity for me to study this. Now, full disclosure here, my research interest was fueled a bit in part in some personal experience. My dad died of a traumatic brain injury back in 1993. But I think it was the kind of the combination of that life experience and my exposure to large numbers of concussed patients in the clinical work that I do that kind of got me started on this track. That's interesting because often a life experience like that can kind of trigger you or push you to see something more in what you see every day. Yeah, absolutely. So define for our listeners, first of all, what do you mean when we talk about concussion? Well, that's an excellent question, and I know people have many kind of preconceived notions about what that is, but actually there are fairly standard definitions of concussion, so I'll give them to you. The Center for Disease Control Prevention has adopted probably the most widely used definition of concussion, and it involves this. You have to have a mechanism that could hurt your head, so a blow to the head or some rapid deceleration like a fall or a car accident. So number one, you have to have some kind of mechanism like that. And the mechanism has to result in one of the following, either a total loss of consciousness 
or a period of amnesia, so a period where you don't remember anything, or a period of time where your brain is not working right. We call that being dazed or confused or some period of altered mental status. So you have to have loss of consciousness, amnesia, or some change in your mental status. And those things can't be very long. They have to be relatively brief. So we're talking about on the order of minutes. So you've got to have one of those things to kind of get into the concussion category. So just a blow to the head without any of those things doesn't really satisfy it. On the other hand, someone who has a blow to their head and is in a coma, that's not concussion either. Right, right. So how common are closed head injuries? They're very common. I mean, when you talk about concussion that shows up in an emergency department in the United States, estimates range 1.2 million to 1.5 million a year. And there are probably a couple hundred thousand people that never come to emergency or a doctor's office at all. So it's one of the more common things we see in an emergency department. What is the spectrum, if you will, of the sequelae after a concussion? Well, this is an area that's of interest to me because it kind of gets at the heart of what we're trying to look at here. Some people who have a concussion can have very little in the way of anything bad or adverse happening to them. They may suffer a brief loss of consciousness and be fine not have any troubles using their brain, not have any symptoms, and be fine. Then there's the other end of the spectrum where someone can have a blood of their head that looks like a concussion, and they can have a life-threatening intracranial bleed, like Natasha Richardson. So you have the full spectrum here, from somebody who has nothing to someone who has something life-threatening. And in between, there's an amount of brain injury that we're trying to nail down and figure out right now. The underlying kind of idea is that most people have some subtle injury to the brain. We just have to diagnose it here. But there clearly are people that don't have anything wrong with them at all. If you're just joining the discussion, you're listening to a special segment focusing on sports medicine on Reach MD Radio XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jeff Bazarian, and we're discussing the rapid diagnosis of closed head trauma. So, Jeff, you've taught us that it may present in different fashions, and it may probably or quite possibly be underdiagnosed. What work have you been doing to clarify that and to raise the research in closed head trauma? Great. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about that. So between the spectrum of having nothing wrong with you and having a life-threatening injury, there are people that have some damage probably to the nerve cells in their brain, and about 50% of concussion patients have problems using their brain that they never had before. They have trouble thinking, adding, balancing, headaches, concentration, you name it. What we would like to be able to do is predict who those people are from the time that they get injured. We'd like to know who they are because the idea would be if we knew who they were, maybe we could treat them and prevent them from having these problems. And not only that, it looks like concussion may be a risk for things like neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. So if we could identify people who had the injury treat it, maybe we could prevent some of these things. And you agree it's often underdiagnosed or missed? It's not diagnosed at all right now. It's currently not diagnosed at all. If you come into emergency department in the United States, you may get a CAT scan, and that's looking primarily for blood, something that we can operate on. But we really can't see the brain injury that we're pretty sure happens with concussion on a CAT scan. So it's not diagnosed at all. I mean, people are, are sent out with some instruction on 
what to do and what to look out for, but we don't really have any way right now of knowing whether they have underlying brain injury. Yeah, it's largely geared toward making sure they don't get worse and die after they go home, covering the responsibility of the referring physician who sent them out, and anything in between, really, you're right, we leave it alone. That's absolutely correct. So what we've been focusing on, is there a blood test that we could do that would diagnose subtle brain injury, much in the way that we may get a blood test now for a patient who has chest pain, a troponin, maybe to see if they have subtle injury to their heart. We're basically looking for a troponin of the brain. And what have you found? Well, we found that there are actually several tests out in the research world already that may serve an intermediate purpose for trying to diagnose injury, but we're actually in our own lab, come up with some proteins that have a lot of promise. And what's interesting about all of these research efforts is we are pretty sure that at some point in the future, we're going to be able to diagnose the subtle kind of brain injury that happens after concussion. So where the state of the art is, there is a test right now that's available in Europe called S100B. It comes from not the neuron cell type, but the astrocyte cell type in the brain. And this particular blood test, if it shows up in the brain, is not so good at predicting how well your brain is going to work after concussion, but is excellent at predicting whether you're going to have an abnormal CAT scan after concussion. So the idea behind this blood test is you have a concussion, your blood test is negative, you don't need a CT scan because it's going to be normal. So you could potentially save your patient the radiation, the cost, and the trouble of getting them into the CT scanner with a test that takes 18 minutes to perform and say, you know what, your S100B looks normal, you're good to go. And if you get injured right now in Munich and in several other countries in Europe, they will do that test on you first before they consider ordering a CAT scan. How long have they been doing it in Europe? I can speak the best for Munich because I collaborate with Dr. Peter Bibethaler, who's the trauma surgeon who kind of pioneered this blood test. About two years now they've been using it. Uh, Other countries, Austria, England, probably more like a year. The FDA equivalent in Canada has approved this test. It is not approved yet in the United States, although the American College of Emergency Physicians, which is my specialty organization, has recommended that emergency physicians consider using it, and that should be an impetus to kind of push it forward through the FDA. Now, if it's negative, you can go home. What do you do with it when it's positive? Well, if it's positive, you have to get a CAT scan. I mean, that's kind of how this would work. It's kind of like a screening test. It doesn't mean that your CAT scan is going to show blood. You know, you still have a relatively low chance of having blood on your CAT scan. The main value in it is if it's negative. And if it's negative, you can feel comfortable sending a patient home without a CAT scan. The chances that that CAT scan is going to show blood is extremely rare. And in that sense, it's very much like a troponin or a D-dimer for your listeners who may be used to ordering a D-dimer as a screening test for pulmonary embolism. They know that when that D-dimer is negative, you don't need to get a chest CT. But if it's positive, you get a chest CT and sometimes it shows a clap, but more often than not, it's negative. So its real value is when it's negative. And by the way, it doesn't really tell you much about how the brain's going to function after injury. It pretty much only tells you about that CAT scan. And what we're interested in is obviously finding a protein that not only can predict how a CAT scan would appear, but how well the brain functions, because that's what we're really interested in, is kind of reducing the disability that's associated with the brain not functioning after a concussion. 
Now, if your initial S100B is positive and you do the CAT scan and your CAT scan's negative, could this make clinicians more likely or more fearful of not send somebody out? Is there any chance later CAT scans may turn positive or your patient could bleed even in the short-term time frame? That's an excellent question. Dr. Biberthaler's experience in Munich would tell us no, but that hasn't been studied systematically. The problem with S100B, it rises not only in response to a blow to the head, but it also comes from other tissues like skin and muscle and cartilage. So you can break a bone and your S100B will go up without any injury to the brain. So many times that S100B is positive because it's coming from extracranial sources. You could have almost false positives in terms of predicting CAT scans. Exactly. Like I said, it's much more powerful when it's negative than when it's positive. You know, when it's positive, you have to kind of go back to all the other things that we're used to using to determine whether someone may have had a brain injury, how how they look, how they feel, how long were they unconscious for, what kind of symptoms are they having now, etc. So the test has less value when it's positive than when it's negative. So does it look like this test will get approved in the United States? Well, I think that's hard for me as a researcher to say. We're doing a large multi-centered trial to gather enough North American data to give to the FDA, which is what they need. So we're doing the best we can to give the FDA the information they would need to weigh in on this. But I would hope that they would because I think that we're doing a disservice to our patients sticking them in a CAT scanner when the vast majority of these CT scans are negative after concussions, like 95% are negative after a concussion. And this is, you know, it's an issue when you have a lot of people in emergency waiting for a CT scan, but sure, it's also an issue for children. And as you know, exposing them to unnecessary radiation kind of poses a a risk of cancer down the line, and I think we want to try to avoid that whenever possible. So when you look into the future for concussions presenting to the emergency room, kids involved in sports, you've got a better diagnostic test now, what would you like to see or what do you think is on the forefront for future going forward? The future for me is once we have an accurate way of nailing down who's got some brain injury after concussion, we can start to trial medications and other therapies that are out there to try to limit the cell death that probably occurs after concussion. In other words, to make people better, quicker. So the future would be, say, for example, on a sport field, an athlete has what looks like a concussion, come over to the sideline, they get their finger pricked for blood, this gets put on a little thing that looks like a glucometer, and it says, brain injury, yes or no. If brain injury, yes, they go to the hospital, they get started on a short course of some treatment that then limits the amount of brain injury that they have, makes them feel better quicker. They get followed up with a specialist who understands these issues and uses blood tests to monitor their progress. Well, thank you for being my guest today. We've certainly learned a lot. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. We've had Dr. Jeff Bazarian on today. We've been discussing the rapid diagnosis of closed head trauma. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to a special segment focusing on sports medicine on ReachMD Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Sports Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.